Hey friends, today's episode is brought to us by Qualia. Qualia is this wonderful product that I've started using, created by my friends at Neurohacker Collective. How gnarly is that name? Uh, these guys, they wanted to create something that could alleviate burnout, brain fog, negative mood, and mental exhaustion. How much of us uh, need that each day? And people ask me all the time, is there a product that you use, a product that you love, uh, to just keep going, stay focused, stay alert, um, just keep the good stuff moving all throughout the day? And my answer is yes, it's Qualia. Uh, you can Google Qualia and find this website, or you can go directly to neurohackercollective.com. Checkout code Ashton will get you 10% off your first batch in the mail or 15% off monthly subscriptions if you sign up for that. I promise you this is a beautiful product, all natural. I've loved uh, just a little little small shift it's brought to my life in these last few months and uh, I encourage you guys to go check it out. Hey, and before we get going today, I want to remind you guys of a couple events I'm going to be a part of in April. The first one being the Lovable Weekend uh, with one of our village elders, Kelly Flanagan. Dr. Kelly Flanagan, that is. Uh, he's coming to our home in Waco, Texas. We're going to meet there with a few people for the weekend and learn about uh, the journey of his book, Lovable. It's going to be a very small group, just a few of us. The entire weekend is catered. Uh, we've got a hotel rate that if you want to sign up for that, uh, we can set you up with that in Waco, but we'd love to see you. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful time that my wife, Brenda, and I are going to be hosting in our home. After that, the following day, I head out to Arizona to co-host an event with Patrick Lilly. Uh, we're going to be at the Redemptorist Renewal Center out there in, where is that? Yeah, Tucson, Arizona. Uh, and we're going to just be talking about um, life. That, we, uh, that life isn't about you, but you are about life and dialing into that reality, figuring out and learning how we can understand that life shifts when we understand that we posture ourselves from be, do, have. Um, and so that's going to be a fun time to gather and chat there too. You can find out more information on that at patricklilly.com. Now to today's conversation. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Hope you are doing well. Um, got a very interesting guest joining us today. I was on YouTube not long ago, sifting through some TED Talks, and uh, I found this uh, brilliant TED Talk um, from a guy named Dr. Mike Steger. He is at Colorado State University, and get ready for this bio. He's the director of the Center for Meaning and Purpose. How awesome is that? Um, it's beautiful that there even is such a thing. That makes me that makes me super happy. Um, and that being said, I shot him an email and I said, "Hey, we are sifting through meaning and purpose and everything here at the podcast. Uh, would you come chat with us?" And he said yes. So that being said, uh, Mike's joining us. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ashton. Absolutely. So, the director for Center, uh, the director of the Center for Meaning and Purpose. Like, where when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, where do you begin? Because that is a broadly beautiful and super complicated department that you're heading up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it's been a bit of an evolution. I'll have to admit. Um, you know, the. the it's a little bit of an outgrowth of my research lab, and, and my research lab had an even more ridiculous name. So that was the the laboratory for the study of meaning and quality of life. So yes. it's, it's, <laughs> it's been a it's been a long string of odd sounding uh, odd sounding pursuits I try to take on in this sort of research capacity. 
So I basically just say that I'm really interested in trying to figure out how people have attempted to answer the question, why are you alive and what are you supposed to do about it? And then understand whether the types of questions, the confidence they have, or types of answers, I should say, or confidence they have in those answers makes any difference at all to how they live their lives or how they feel about life overall. Interesting. So you you mentioned a lab. Like, and when I hear lab, I think of like, you know, Bunsen burners and, and things like that. But like this laboratory of study of meaning and purpose, is this separate from your work at Colorado State? Same, same deal. Uh, explain to me a little bit about the, the laboratory of meaning and purpose. Sure. You know, so I'll actually go back a little bit further and just talk a little bit about what the what the landscape looks like yeah. for this topic in, in psychology and social science in general when I got started. I, I kind of bounced around a little while, job to job, usually in human services or social services. I worked as a therapist for a while, drug and alcohol counselor, stuff like that. And, you know, I felt like I was doing good work, but something was missing. And eventually I realized that my, my main talent is overthinking things and I need to find a job where I could just think a lot. So <laughs> it seemed like academia was the way to go for me. So I pursued my PhD, but I kept the, the sort of interest that I'd always had about you know, really why, I guess my main question is why are we so bad at living sometimes <laughs> as, as creatures? You know, we take the, the most basic stuff like eating, sleeping, mating and we turn that into super complicated stuff and then we invent new complicated stuff to to worry about all the time and then we seem to ignore the most important stuff which is to me what are we going to do with this amazing and incredible gift that we have of waking up and breathing and seeing the world around us and, and having choices and having gifts and potential and talent and the ability to try to share that in a positive way so i've just always been perplexed by my own difficulty having a having a good shot at, at living a great life and, and the difficulty that other people sometimes talk about and then the amazing examples of other people out there as well. So my big inspiration was Viktor Frankl, who yeah. wrote a book that probably a lot of your, your listeners are quite familiar with, which you know, is man's search for meaning and, and chronicles those two things. I mean it chronicles his experiences as a concentration camp survivor at Auschwitz. And also lays out his theory about how, um, you know, unlike maybe how Freud would have depicted us as as sort of creatures of rigid control over otherwise savage impulses driven by uh, urges for pleasure, that instead what humans are driven by is an urge for meaning, mm -hmm. what he called the will to meaning. And I just thought that was amazing. And I'd had some chances to see what that looks like in people who are struggling with, you know, sexual abuse, substance problems, depression, anxiety. And I thought this is this is a pretty cool idea. I wonder if there's a way to study this. Interesting. It was, um, yeah. So the PhD program I applied to was in Minnesota, which was, you know, I was, I was allowed to have a couple choices. I was, you know, just newly married at the time when I decided about age 30 to go back to grad school and get my PhD. And so um, we'd wanted to start a family. And so the options were I had to be close to family, which pretty much narrowed it down to the upper Midwest. And Minnesota is where I grew up and pretty close to where both of uh, our families uh, are so fly to Minnesota not a lot of forethought into exactly what that meant um, I knew it had a reputation of being really sort of scientifically rigorous for a counseling psychology program and that really appealed to me because um, you know I love I love stories and I love inspiration 
I love classic teachings. I love creation ideas and the, the cultural heritage that we have. But I, I also wanted to just sort of figure out, is there any way that we can determine one way or the other that certain things are truer than others? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, I, I just was attracted to the notion, I want to figure out how to do research, and then maybe I can figure out how to do research in this weird, fuzzy topic. Then, and it was yeah. a pretty lonely situation. There wasn't <laughs> a lot going on. No one was saying, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll join you on that venture to go find the science of meaning. Yeah, yeah. This, so this is about year, the year 2000, you know, which which used to sound so futuristic, but right. <laughs> uh, the year 2000, I embarked on a journey. But uh, you know, so I just decided to learn the t- typical tools of how we study psychology. And and the big pivot that I, I have to really f- confess up to is that I don't study the meaning of life uh, as a, as a researcher. I, I do as a person, but that's totally irrelevant to what I'm able to study in in my lab. Um, what I study instead is what people think about that. Hmm. So I study people's thoughts, their attitudes, their opinions, their beliefs, the, their behaviors, and what they're willing to say about what they think meaning is all about in their lives. So that's a huge difference. And so when I go out and I talk to folks, I don't say I've got any secrets at all about the meaning of life. I'm happy to have a beer with you and, and talk about it. But um, what I can talk about is what happens when people struggle to try to find some of, some answer on their own for that question about what makes my life meaningful or not, and how we might want to start looking at ways to be able to make that easier to do in a in a rapidly changing and sometimes super confusing world. Wow, yeah. So it's it's this idea that. Um you aren't bringing some secret code of the universe to the marketplace to say, this is the meaning of life. You just, you're dancing around what, what is meaning and what happens when you name it for your life and what happens when it's not a part of your life, I guess in your background of psychology um, and I'm just connecting some dots here, but when you see addiction, abuse, um, you know, a lot of those, uh, the negative aspects of humanity, how, how often is it because there is no intent of a life towards meaning or meaning is vacant for someone? What I mean, hold my hand there. Is it, does the data, does the science show that those negative trends will pop up when people don't have some clear idea of, you know, what this all means and where it's headed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been one of the most... I would say one of the most, from my personal perspective, one of the most shocking developments since I got started was that there's almost no data that showed other than little bits here or there that whether people could find a meaning to grasp onto in their lives, that that made any difference at all to whether their lives were good or bad or they struggled Mm -hmm. or they didn't or they strived for greatness or they gave up and capitulated and sank into their, their, their worst temptations or even, you know, were succumbed to their their circumstances. And uh, at this point now, something like, uh, you know, 11 or 12 years after I made my first data entry into the area, we know monstrous amounts, like to the point that, that I, I, I can't even come close to keeping up with it anymore. Something like uh, more than half of all the research studies published on this topic were published in the last two years. So it's just going crazy. Wow. And now, I, and now we can say with, with, a lot of uh, certainty. You know, psychology, like all sciences, is very probabilistic. We don't say this is for sure a thing. We just say 
you know, the odds are good. The research supports this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, a, I think that frustrates people from time to time because yeah. we're not out there saying, absolutely, this is it. You do this and you'll see within four hours this result. And, but we can say that as certain as we are about almost anything else in psychology, that the people who say that their lives are full of purpose and feel significant, they feel like their lives matter, that they're, they're happier, they're nicer to other people, they're able to resist sort of these tempting, but you know, yet in the long term destructive behavioral choices that are out there for us, whether that's, you know, being too um, sedentary in our lifestyle or that's engaging in, too, in unhealthy eating, unhealthy sexual practices, substance abuse, thinking about suicide, feeling drawn into depression, you know, just the, the list goes on and on and on. And we can even see that, you know, some of the more impressive studies that have been done in the last 10 years are showing that there's a significant longevity advantage to people who feel like they have meaning in their lives versus mm-hmm. those who don't. Yeah, I think I remember in your TED Talk, you showed that the graph that was like, and I can't remember, you can tell me, the percentage of um, people as they get older and that can name and say, yes, my life has meaning, my life has purpose, and they're actually, it actually is a matter of life and death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in that that's my favorite study of that type, although there's, there's quite a number of them now, but that one was done by Patricia Boyle at Rush University uh, Medical Hospital in, in Chicago. And, you know, she tracked older adults for six years and measured all sorts of stuff about their lives. You know, she works at a medical teaching hospital, so... Um, you know, she's, she's got access to that, you know, doctor and physician mindset and all those sorts of outcomes that they track and including previous medical conditions even. And, you know, the, the advantage was like a 50, what they call a 57% hazard, uh, for dying benefits. So those who had low meaning compared to those who had high were 57% more likely to, um, you know, to, to hit the end of the road there over that course of five or six years they were studying people. Wow. So, I mean, in, in raw numbers, that, that looks like about twice the number of people died who were reporting to researchers that my life has no meaning. There's nothing for me to get me up in the morning. I don't know what the purpose of my existence is, you know, wow. things like that. Wow. Have you ever studied the Japanese word ikigai? I haven't studied it, but it's uh, I, I have used it in in workshops that I do, yeah. and you know, trying to give people another another angle at it because you know it it gets at that you know it gets at that idea that I've got a reason to get up mm-hmm. in the day, I've got a reason to live, and you know I what I've found in in trying to pivot away from just studying this this topic into trying to start conversations and give. Really, my hope is to give people tools to keep asking the question. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of finding an answer and then never asking the question <laughs> again when it's this important of a question, in my personal opinion. Um, but so I'm, I'm really curious about giving people different ways to sort of get at this and and keep and just keep kind of keep engaged with the topic. And Ikigai has been really powerful for for folks. And we, you know, when I do workshops, I'll embed that in a lot of different activities and. You, you can just see people kind of light up, though. They just grasp that idea yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, English, we don't, we don't have these words that, meet, that have these es- this essence behind them. 
um, you know, the thing that gets you out of bed. You know, Japanese people have a word for that. Um, I yeah. wish we had those types of words. Um, but even the whole aspect of a key guy, I mean, meaning like gift and desire and talent and uh, joy and, you know, kind of the, the center place where all of these things align. Um, maybe for some of our listeners that are kind of going, I mean, I know I need to ask the question, but I, I can't really define meaning for myself. How do you hold the hand of people that maybe come to you, uh, that you teach, the interactions that you have? How do you lead people into this conversation uh, of saying, if, if you don't know what we're talking about here, or you, you haven't been able to put your thumb on you know, the meaning of your days, where's a good, you know, real, real base note place to start? Yeah, it's a super great question because it, it, it breaks down in my mind into a couple of different areas. And the first is I have to explain my perspective, right? And my perspective is driven by this sort of research body. And in, in research, one thing we're, we're pretty talented at doing is it's obscuring what we're actually studying, right? So we have all these de- definitions and it's couched in, in professional jargon and all that sort of stuff. So one of the big things that I need to do is just say where, where we've been looking and the first step there is just to is just to break down what seems to show up when when we're asking this question like what are the what are the things that people think about the types of evidence they look for in their lives the types of inspiration they count on as they go forward when we say does your life have meaning or is your life meaningful hmm. and so there's three, there's really it's like three dimensions and sometimes you know there's no right or wrong dimension to to feel more strongly about but the fact that there's three sometimes opens three different doors for folks so the first one um, and in some ways, the easiest one to get talking about is what we'll call co- coherence or comprehension or something like that. Mm-hmm. This is really the, the mental or cognitive, um, we'd say like an explanatory model. But you can think about your, your mental map of you in, in life, right? So it's, it sort of is where are things, who are, who are you, what is the world like, what's in it? And in general, how do you kind of interact with with that world? You know, so this, is this captures I- identity the is identity in there. Identity is totally in there. Yeah. Um, and so our our understanding of our strengths and weaknesses, what we stand for, believe in, and value. But also, you know, that people have like these beliefs about the world. Sometimes, you know, people talk about you know their worldview their perspective, their personal philosophy, and that gets captured in a lot of cultural idioms, right? Like someone who feels like it's a dog-eat-dog world probably, you know, is going to sort of have their behavior shaped by that belief system as opposed to, you know, the world's good and we all got to help each other out. So, you know, so that's really the cognitive side. Like, what do you, what do you, how do you make sense of life? Hmm. And for people in, in times of chaos, you know, you can imagine, you know, someone who's, who's, you know, town was swept away in a, in a mudslide or a hurricane or a fire um, refugees, people in war-torn areas, you know, people being pushed out of the lives that they've led for a long time, like that, suddenly the world used to make sense in one way and it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, we do see some real challenges to meaning just based on can I make sense of what's happening anymore. The second dimension is is the one that seems to get a little bit more attention in, in, in our, our kind of daily conversations about this sort of stuff, and that would be purpose, you know. So in in my world, purpose is one of the pillars of meaning. It's not kind of strictly interchangeable, you know. But purpose is is 
you know, when you satisfy this this kind of need for purpose, you have one or more really powerful, highly valued, central aspirations or missions that you want to just be working toward in your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. I think of it as like an an just your your ray. If you remember if you remember geometry, right? Rays are these arrows that start somewhere and they just keep shooting off yeah. into the distance. Yeah. Yeah. They're infinite in that one direction. Yeah. So, you know, it's really about the process purpose. But it's but the power of purpose seems to be that it helps us figure out how to make good decisions because things that are within aligned with our purpose are just gonna be better for us than things that aren't. Helps us organize our activities, create motivation. You know, and a lot of times inspire people for for better or for worse, right? I mean, purposes are super powerful because when you see someone with a huge passion for what they want to accomplish in their lives, it it can be a little infectious, even if it's not strictly a good thing. Yeah, is would would these be like metaphors? Like people would want to hold on to, um, you know, you could say the purpose of my life is to be, you know, a light to others, or uh, and I'm just I'm really reaching for metaphors here, but. When, yeah, people kind yeah. of, when people kind of hold on to and have this conversation for themselves of, okay, I had the cognitive conversation. I know who I am. I know what I believe. I can make sense of the world. This, yeah. this next step, is it healthy to move into the world of metaphor rather than just, you know, I, I am, I'm the ray, I'm the arrow? <laughs> if, if <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. The, the big, the the metaphor I, I find myself thinking about a lot of times is, you know, if we just go back to that, that kind of map idea, you know, you can, you can think of purpose as your sense of direction. Gotcha. Like what's yeah. your, what's your North star or Southern That's cross, good. wherever you yeah. happen to live. Right. So the map is what is where you are and you know, then your purpose are the, the destinations you want to go. I mean, folks want to go in lots of different places you know, I want to be good at my profession. I want to help others. I want to minimize my, my impact on, on the world and nature and, and other people. And I want to be a good parent. And I want to, you know what I mean? Like, yep. and they're all really important. So I have to figure out ways to, to balance them and, and try to get them to harmonize with each other. Yep. Another one I'd like to think about in terms of what's the, you know, so the function of having a sense of direction is and we kind of have a sense of where we want to go. But you know, another metaphor I'll, I'll give people is I think of it as purpose as being an anchor we throw into the future, right? So mm-hmm. it keeps kind of drawing us forward. In that sense, a little bit more like ikigai, right? Because if you have a purpose, then you want to keep you want to keep moving. Every day is an, a, a chance to kind of you know haul in a little bit more of that rope towards that yeah. anchor in the future. An anchor we throw into the future. That's beautiful. Mm, thank you. Love that. And so then what would the third be? Those are the first two. The third is the, is sort of the one that has gotten the least attention from, from folks in my field. Um, but that it, it seems completely ridiculous that we've neglected it when, when, I, when I say it out loud. And that's the, essentially the sense of, of significance, hmm. that, that it's worthwhile, that there's some inherent value in, in being alive and that in some way, big or small, um, I matter. Hmm. You know, and this this is really one of the classics, right? If you take a look back at early explanations for why folks committed suicide, you know, like studies done or analyses done even in the late 1800s, you know, people feeling like there's they don't matter to society anymore. There's life isn't worthwhile anymore. There's no value in it, and there's no value to me. You know, and so this one probably seems 
really fundamental. And for folks who can't necessarily articulate a sense of, of purpose, and for folks maybe who are in some such turgid times that it's hard for them to figure out exactly who they are anymore or who the people around them what they're really like anymore or even how to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish because the landscape's completely obscure then at least we can focus on this cultivating the sense that you know starting from now i i matter my life is worthwhile it doesn't freeze me in time i can keep getting better life can keep getting better but even right now i matter in some way so uh, and again i have zero psychology background um, I'm just <laughs> a, red, I'm a redneck from Texas. Okay. You can probably hear it in my voice. My, but my question is, is, is there any connection here whatsoever as I'm thinking back through of like super basic psychology stuff of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the whole, is there, is there a follow up of, of when the meaning question starts? Um, you know, cause when, you know, back in the day, it was like, leave the cave, go kill something, bring it back. That was our life, right? Um, yeah. When, when, when and where uh, does, can the human species today even start to have the meaningful conversation? Or, or, or is this new in the, at the historical point of where we are in the universe that like now the overwhelming majority of us have this option to ask, where's this headed? What's it all mean? Um, when you're out of that fight, flight, or freeze mode, you know, that humans were in for thousands of years. Yeah. You know, it's a tricky question to, to answer with any sort of definitive sense. I, you know, what I can, what my, what my take on it is, is that, um, well, well, I'll just, I'll just throw some old data points out there and, you know, and we can still debate whether, neither of us would come up with the right answer maybe, but we could debate about whether then what we're talking about is like access to this set of questions, mm-hmm. right? In, in that sense yeah. is worrying about the meaning of your, of your existence, a luxury good. And like a lot of other things that used to be considered luxury now, a lot of people have them, right? So right. Right. You, know, you think about a personal phone, there were probably, there was a time when 25 people in the world had a phone, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. now everyone does. So um, maybe meaning in life is like that, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll point to some some things that were written in 600 or so BC, all the way back to probably closer to 1500 BC. Mm-hmm. So, the when we start looking at translations of old texts, it gets dicey. I don't want to get into that really, but um, there is there is a translation of a passage in Ecclesiastes, right? So the for the Christians, that's the Old Testament, and it's part of the tradition of Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. And the 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 um, the Torah and, and other ancient texts. And this is sort of like the most depressing of all. There's a lot of that's depressing right. things that are happening in that, but that's a <laughs> depressing book, right? So um, one of the passages talks about, uh, you know, the, the narrator is essentially looking around and um, asking the question, what is it all for? Because as as the animal breathes, so we breathe. As the animal dies, so we die. And everything is meaningless. So in mm-hmm. a sense, the first the oldest thing that I can see translated directly into meaning in my, albeit not particularly rigorous, uh, you know, scholarly approach is this curiosity. Like if we all are going to die just like an animal and, you know, we, we either turn to mummies or we turn to goo or we disappear under the water or something happens to us and we're just done. 
how do we make life become meaningful? And you can you can see that hook right into the existentialists um, in that period of time between World War One and World War Two, where folks like Camus are, are trying to argue that the decision to say yes or to no, to say no about is it worth just being alive is the central problem of philosophy. Mm-hmm. So this question of like, why put up with all this? Why, like, do we need some promise of something after this in order to make this experience itself worthwhile? And then you go, you go even further back. And of course there's lots of similarities in the, in the, the oral traditions of all of the folks who are living in that, in that Fertile Crescent area. But if you go all the way back to the, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which still is the sort of, what we would consider the oldest sort of fictional narrative that's been written down. There's older stuff, but it's, you know, it's accounting yeah. <laughs> pretty much. It's like six donkeys delivered to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, er. but this is, but this is sort of the, the tale of Gilgamesh. And so this is the oldest um, artifact that has a story written on it in the, the amazing cuneiform alphabet of the ancient Syrians. And this is the, this semi-god king who really needs more challenge in life and kind of is this entitled jerk for a long time goes on a quest for immortality just just like you might imagine the narrator of ecclesiastes might be wondering if he could do or Mm. she could do and you know fails in some way you know the 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 weakness of the flesh you know in in this case gilgamesh falls asleep and, and the snake steals this this fruit that is the 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 conduit of immortality and so Gilgamesh wakes up to this huge, huge quest to find that he totally failed because he fell asleep and you know these terrible snakes stole the, stole this fruit, and so he starts wailing about how this is this is terrible. What's it all for? And it's almost like a spark is lit in his head as he starts returning to his city. So his, he this is like the ziggurat of Ur, this the city that he built, and he's he's got a guide who's returning him home, and he he, he gets he nears his city city and he says. Um, you know, look at this though. This I've built. This will be here even when I'm dead. In that way, in a sense, I've I've found something more than just my what my mortal body can carry forward. You know, so this these are very old meditations yeah. on this the sense that even if if there's impermanence, are there still answers to finding what it's all worthwhile? So I feel like that's a pretty old idea. Yeah. Yeah. So we've we've been asking this question for a long time. Yeah, we haven't been calling it meaning for a long time, but oh. um, and I'll also throw this out there. There's there's a couple theories out there, and I'm really fond of these theories. And you know, in in psychology, we're really focused on people and how they think and how they behave. So everything kind of gets reduced to what happens inside our our heads and bodies. But um, you know, some folks have argued that you know we evolved to solve certain challenges, and one of the ways that we evolved these to solve these challenges is to work together as as a species. In order to do that, we have to sort of develop a theory about how other people are thinking. So I'm I'm talking to you, and I'm imagining what you are interpreting of what I'm saying, but also that I know that you have a, a hope for how this talk will go, and you you yourself are also keeping in mind your your listeners and how you want to serve their interests as well. So there's all these sort of inferences about what's going on in the heads of other people. And once you have this sort of processing power, right, that you, I can take a, a, a raised eyebrow or I can take a change in tone of voice from you or, you know, you can 
somehow interpret how many thumbs ups or thumbs downs or stars you get on, on ratings of these sorts of things. You can use those to imagine the, the inner life of someone who exists completely apart from you. Mm. That's a huge amount of information processing power. And then what's to stop us? And again, I, don't, I mean, I don't get into the, whether the universe is particularly full of meaning on its own as a research topic. I've got my own personal views, but you know, what's to stop a person or a species that can understand what's, what an, the intentions are of a whole other creature from saying, what are the intentions of lightning starting a fire and burning down the village today? Or the rain's not coming? Or a flood coming down the creek and, and, and taking away my baby? Or the season's changing? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, what? Yeah. Like it could be that just our, from the, I guess the least spiritual interpretation is that we just have these giant computers and we can't turn them off and they are looking at the sky and they're looking at the trees and they're looking at birds and they're looking at rush hour traffic and trying to figure out what is it telling them just Mm -hmm. as if they're looking at their their romantic partner slowly getting angry at them you know what i mean right incredibly interesting i mean i'm just i the, the academic side of this i always swim in the world of like metaphor but to hear you kind of break this stuff down um is is kind of mind-blowing you you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned like a fear once uh in your ted talk of meaning becoming a commodity um yeah. break that down because i thought man that's that's a huge thing to flag um whereas you know that's a dangerous it's a dangerous place to be for all of a sudden meaning to be this stock and trade something that's um you know, it, you can't weigh this thing. It, it is to, to know it in its most pure form is to honor it within each individual. Um, but break that down for me on the possibility of even meaning becoming a commodity. I think the problem lies in maybe in my own head about what, what I see meaning to represent. You know, when we, we take a look at what it would be, what it, supposedly really takes to live a life of meaning and it, it, it takes uh, you know an authentic confrontation of the, the the mystery the confusion the 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 basic unknowableness of the ultimate truth um so it moves us into worlds of of faith it moves us into worlds of dependence and confusion it moves us into a world where we st- we wrestle with this idea of what what am I meant for what what do I really do in this life and and for me that's 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 a really special thing to to me that is how we really encounter and try to grow our 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 most human natures which I, I, against all evidence maybe I still have this really positive view of of what our basic essential natures are. And I feel like we get sidelined and corrupted in some ways by the way in which, you know, we're led down various paths of expediency or gratification or temptation or persuasion and all that sort of stuff. Right. So, so for me, like the true engagement with when someone says my life is meaningful, um, some part of them has wrestled with something. Hmm. Maybe they've, they've inherited a belief system, um, but they've made it their own. Maybe they've, uh, you know, always felt like I have to be a good person, uh, but they really do it. They don't think that by taking their 
dog to the dog park once a week that they're a good person because they're nice to an animal. You know what I mean? Like they actually are, are not, to pick on, not to pick on dog owners, you know, but just like some example of I give a check once uh, once a year to charity. I'm a good person, you know, but like it's it becomes activated in life. It becomes seen and witnessable. And, yes. you know, all all these pieces are, are kind of there. And then you compare it to like happiness, for instance, or, um, you know, what what mindfulness is. So I, I often make this joke. I'm uh, you, I'm not meaning to step on anybody's toes. You know, I, I, there's a lot of, you know, sincere devotion to something like mindfulness. But it was it's an ancient religious practice. It's it's a thousands of years old yeah, of yeah. spiritual cultivation that is being used in, yeah. probably for good reasons in Silicon Valley. But it's like a mind hack now. Right. And if meaning <laughs> becomes a mind hack, I, I like to make the joke. I'm like, I can't wait till like saying the rosary or stations of the cross like uh you know takes off in silicon valley and you know people are just sort of thumbing through like wait themes. a minute this is yeah, this holds really some good think, stuff here <laughs> like would that yeah this is really a powerful way to hack your mind you know yeah. would we really have the same idea about it so right. you know it, like when you take something out of it's it's sort of rich world in which it was created whether it's you know meditation practices whether it's um, you know, charismatic practices, whether it's the rosary, stations of the cross, you know, you know, rocking while you pray, whatever it is, if you take it away and just make it something that makes your life better and it becomes a part of a checklist. Hmm. And that, that worries me about meaning because my strongest hope for meaning is is that it ultimately connects us. Going back to Maslow's idea you know, where a lot of us are familiar that we start off with these survival needs and we kind of move through these social needs. And when we've satisfied these sort of more pressing things, we're able to spend time actualizing ourselves, like mm. trying to seek our highest potential. Uh, that The story often stops there, but Maslow himself kept pushing. Um, he kept pushing and, and began to develop this idea at the very, very highest apex of of that hierarchy of need is actually self-transcendence not self-actualization so you don't get stuck just in trying to get the best and be the best for just ourselves we our whole job and you see this in spiritual practices religions from time immemorial that what we're really striving for is getting out of our own skin and and escaping Mm -hmm. just what that what this body and what the pressures and sensations are telling us to do right now and keep our eyes on something that's bigger and just huger than us that we can be part of. And so I I do think that meaning, at least the data still at at its sort of innocent stage show that that's where, that's where we're drawn when we, when we seek and, and, and live lives of meaning. But if it becomes, you know, the latest trend, a badge, a brand, totally. Yeah. yeah. Then it becomes a commodity and some people will sell it and you'll check it off yeah. and you'll burn through it. Yeah. You won't get what you thought you'd get out of it yes. and it's dead to you. Yeah, it'll be a tragedy in my personal view. But if the pursuit is connection, uh, unity, um, wholeness, um, I'm trying to use big embrace words, um, yeah. then now, now we've just reframed meaning in a way that involves all of us and that it comes back to the common good. And it doesn't... It doesn't separate me from you to say I am this over here and this type of meaning is better than that type of meaning. Um, yeah. It honors the individual, but it also allows us all to look at each other and go, yeah, me too. Me too. Totally. Yeah. You know, uh, 
if you get a chance to keep looking for for other TED Talks, one of my good friends and uh, and colleagues, his name is Frank Martala. He's he did a talk at TEDx University of Helsinki, so he's from Helsinki, Finland. Um, and we've talked about meaning a lot, and you know we you know we wrote this sort of three dimensions of meaning paper with the coherence and the purpose and significance together. But he has a he has a, a different way of breaking things down that I think is uh, I think is, I admire it quite a lot. I wish I'd I wish I'd come up with it, uh, you know. But he he sort of just breaks this down, you know. For, if I was just to say what makes life meaningful, I would I would, I would have said something like, you know, finding finding your most most authentic desire to continually improve so that you're you're benefiting you and the world around you. Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. you're embracing yeah. your sense of responsibility and connectedness, but also you're you're never just complacent. Yeah. So that's that's my take on it. The way he put it is so much better. He said, you know, the way I can live a meaningful life is by being meaningful for others. Let's go. Contribution, yeah. a gift. Yeah. And it's and it's a process too. He you know, he gets at that idea. We gotta keep being, you know, we gotta keep doing. We're we don't you know, in American culture, this goes back to the research. In American culture, um, and a lot of more strongly Western civilization-influenced cultures, the tendency is for people who say they're searching for meaning to actually look quite anxious and not particularly happy at all. Hmm. Um, whereas you take a look at more Eastern tradition-influenced cultures, you know, they're a little bit more okay sitting with process, a little bit more okay sitting with contradiction. Yeah. And searching for meaning is, is just goes hand-in-hand hand with, with having meaning. But in our culture, we sort of feel like we have to have the answers all the time i guess you know what i mean yeah, so totally uh you know so if i could so one of my one of my hopes is that i can just make people feel comfortable with with the answer being just trying you know what i mean trying to get it keep getting it right and learn from from mistakes and and you you would you would give people freedom to say the answer can change it, it almost has to change yeah. in at least in at least in the ways that matter. Yeah. Right? You could have like yeah. the big answer could maybe never change. That's right. But you know, it's, if you if you go back to the the metaphor of, of that's your destination, that's your north star, that's how you're going to navigate. You know, there's a million and a half roads. Like if you want to drive from Texas to Colorado, um, you can pick a lot of different routes. You can pick the straighter ones. You can get on a plane. You can you can wander all over the place. You know, the way that you get there still is always going to be informed by that answer. You might decide though, at some point you, you, you're done with Colorado. You're going to, you're going to take a hard right and, and head out to Nova Scotia or something. Mm. But, you know, oftentimes people have the same kind of outline of what they really want their lives to add up to when they're looking at the end of it and summing it all up. But everything between who I am and today and what that, aspiration for my existence is going to be all that sort of stuff probably needs to change a lot roads close <laughs> you run out of gas you take a detour you, you see a cool road sign for a museum and ever of weird things and you know we're our life pulls us in lots of different directions and, and part of the part of the meaning making process is just figuring out how to keep pulling that into the stories yeah. pulling that into the maps that's good it, it you've helped me process this a bit that Meaning, I mean, maybe as I leave this conversation, I'm not here to tell you this is totally true. You'll 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 be able to grade me on this as a professor. Um, <laughs> is it meaning? Meaning is 
is the gift not only that you offer the world, but it simultaneously rejuvenates you know you at the soul level. Like it's this it's this two for one. Um, not not only are you jazzed, or do you have that a key guy to get out of bed, but it also enriches the world around you. It's this beautiful two for one thing that like even just verbalizing that that isn't that what we're all after. Like we want to count, we want a legacy. We want the world to be better because we were here. Um, it it seems like that's a really, at least for me today, that's a, that's a way to put a bow on this conversation. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I really do think that that my what I the way I see meaning and my hope that it stays this way is exactly that. That it it is about learning to make more of your life, but not just for your own sake for the sake of other people too. And then knowing that you can do that, knowing that you can step into life and you've made something a little better, that's going to also feed right back into you feeling like you matter. Yeah. Right? You made a difference yeah. just by wanting to. Yeah. Man, I love it. That's it. Beautiful. <laughs> <Awesome>. um, <laughs> so, uh, so you're, you, you swim in data. I'm sure you've got, you know, lab after lab, paper after paper, all of this stuff, the science points to new stuff all the time. What's, what's like currently keeping you curious in, in your laboratory of, of meaning and purpose? Uh, so my laboratory, we're, we don't have, we don't have test tubes, but, but we are, <laughs> uh, we, we are uh, running people through some, through their paces in the, in the lab. So uh, I have, two big obsessions right now they're really just the same obsession you know for when i got started in this no one took it well i can't say no one took it serious but a very small number of people took this stuff seriously um it wasn't mainstream at all you never heard people in the business world talk about meaningful work or about purpose-driven this or that psychologists sort of you know pretty psychologists are actually pretty open-minded but they need to be kind of persuaded with different tools than normal humans um yeah they were just like i don't know if this is really fitting for hmm. as a professional topic and all this sort of stuff and you know so just showing that we can use traditional psychological scientific methods to understand the process that people are going through when they are just contemplating that question is my life meaningful like that was the big focus when I got started and now now you know that's that's being done all around the world by hundreds of amazing people look at the fire so you my, started well <laughs> I, what I think about is um I'm, I'm I'm one of those people who just want to do my best to try to uh you know pitch in with this idea yeah. and I certainly wasn't the only one so um I'm happy that all this all this effort and attention has, has led to Hopefully, it'll be more accessible, you know, more accessibility for folks to to sort of tackle this idea. Beautiful. Um, well, I'll I'll just say like what we're like my big pivot now is I I'm really trying to figure out good tools that we can put out in the world, like systematic approaches for helping mm -hmm. people just let you know shave away at the fuzziness and get down to something that makes real sense in their own lives. So we're working on workshops, you know, protocols, we're doing lab studies of, you know, in like with work like situations to see how maybe we can start shaping work 
to be a, a strong engine for meeting instead of what seems to be a spirit sucking enterprise for yeah, some of us. So, yeah. so yeah, so those are two, those are the two big pursuits right now. Right on. I'd love to have you on again sometime, maybe, and just really come at this from the work angle. Cause I think, mm, sure. uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are leaders, business owners, uh, thought leaders, artists, creatives, you know, and, and have been entrusted a group of people, um, and I think uh, it's very similar to this conversation that you and I have just had, but I'd, maybe sometime down the road we can come at this at a different angle. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I, I definitely uh, am active in that area. And, you know, as maybe maybe you and your listeners have a, have a sense of this as well, but it, it, it seems like there's a huge shift in, in where the levers lie in, in societal transformation. Yeah, yeah. That, that really when we want when we talk about people coming together for a common cause the place where that most often and maybe even most effectively happens is in workplaces now even more so than government or you know city councils and this that the other thing absolutely yeah i think there's there's a massive shift happening there um and rightfully so it's where we spend the majority of our days you know i mean how how much of our life is working somewhere um, so to, to have the meaning conversation, I don't know if it's, uh, us waking up at a consciousness level or what it is, but it's, it's a beautiful time and it, and that conversation needs to be happening, um, as, uh, as we're all collectively trying to find our good and necessary work in the world. Um, yeah, absolutely. beautiful well, man. This, this conversation was awesome. Um, oh, cool! Thank, thank you, you. thank I'm you for your part of it. Thank you for your time and generosity. For our uh, listeners that maybe want to follow you and your work, MichaelFSteger.com is that the best place you would direct us? Uh, I guess so. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not very good at this side of it. You know, like I don't have a. I, I mean, I don't really have a social media presence. Good I, for I you. That's that's because you know the meaning and the purpose of your life. Well, the rest yeah, of us are swimming. To say, totally off record, I will say that I have an Instagram account, but it's just photos. It's just to help me connect with that artistic piece Good for of you. But, yeah, because you know your meaning yeah, and so purpose. That, yeah. The hope is to keep, to update that website again, but I think 2014 was its last update. So, gotcha. Um, yeah. I don't know what to say. Hey, that's no, <laughs> that, that, means, that, that means you're a man of your word. You know, you're actually finding, you know, the meaning and purpose. So you're not having to look for at mentions and retweets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike. Well, um, thanks so much, man. We're super grateful for you and your work. And, uh, like I said, I'd love to have you back on one day and, uh, chat about this, uh, at some other angles. Awesome. Okay. I appreciate man. it. I look forward to it. Yes, thanks, sir. Ashton. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly. Uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car. Uh, You allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled 
uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more. Uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love.